Happy New Year and welcome to our very special Henry Now and Now and Then podcast. We wanted to start this new year off with a special gift to all those who are part of our podcast and YouTube community of listeners. I'm Karen Pascal, the Executive Director of the Henry Nowen Society. This episode is the second of two programs drawn from a conversation between Father Henry Nowen and Reverend Brian Stiller. In 1995, these two met at L'Arche Daybreak, a home where Henry Nowen lived the last 10 years of his life. The full discussion between Henry and Brian is very inspiring. If you missed the first part, I urge you to access it on our website or on our YouTube channel. In this interview, Brian asks Henry what his concept of hope is. Henry shares how we can nurture the footprints of God in our life, and he shares his insights on prayer. These two recordings are some of the very best interviews that we have with Henry Nowen. Brian asks deep and challenging questions, and Henry is so animated and alive in his responses. Enjoy. Henry, you, you define hope this way. Hope expects the coming of something new. Hope looks ahead towards that which is not yet. Hope accepts and risks the unspecified. Uh, the news every night tells me that it is hopeless. And yet uh, the essence of, of your analysis of the gospel is that hope is at the very core right. of belief. Hope has something to do with a promise. Okay, there can be no hope without a promise. And we uh, are invited to live with the promise that says, I will fulfill the deepest needs of your heart. That's what God is saying. Mm -hmm. I've loved you, I've given you a heart, a restless heart, but a heart that is restless so that I can give you rest, that I can give you all you need. To, so to live with hope is to live as a promise. And what I want to say is, is that you can only hope if that what you're hoping for has already touched you. That you, what you're hoping for, you already know a little bit. I always desire, in a way, that of which I know something. You know? And so the mystery of hope is that, in a way, you, you are aware that something needs to be fulfilled, but what needs to be fulfilled somewhere already has touched you. You know, somewhere of the love that you want to come to fulfillment is already part of you. That's why I feel that if you live with hope, you, you are able to live very much in the present because you can nurture the footprints of God in your heart, in your life. They, you, you have already a sense of what's to come. And, and the whole spiritual life is saying God is right with us now so that we can wait for his coming. And the waiting is we're waiting with hope. But because we wait with hope, we know that, that what we are waiting for is already at work in us. And we have to nurture that. Now, it's interesting that we live in a world where people don't know much about hope. They know about wishes. I, you know, the whole Christmas period is full of wishes. I wish a gift. I wish this, I want that. Uh, it's very concrete. It's I, I want a toy, I want a car, I want a new house, I want a new job. I want, we have all these very specifics. That's wishing. I wish this, that, such, so. And hope is precisely that you say, I 
I don't know how God is going to fulfill his promises, but I know he will, and therefore I, am, I can live in the presence uh, with the knowledge of God being with me, uh, hoping and trusting that, 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 the, that, that the deepest desires of my being will be fulfilled. Is, and is, that it makes the, keeps the future very open. You know, it doesn't, it's not a controlling way of living. It's not, not saying, you know, I want to have a, a hold on my future. I want to be sure this is going to happen or that's going to happen. I want to be sure that, that, that all these things are in place when I get there. I mean, and that's that anxious, controlling, nervous uh, ego of me that I want to be reassured that I have enough to, to survive. But isn't gambling based on hope? No. No. Why not? Gambling is, is, is in a way, all addictions uh, are in a way ways to control your future. You, you, you want to you wanna have the satisfaction, you want to have it now, and you, 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 you get it, and you realize it doesn't fulfill your deepest need, and you want more, and, and it fulfills your deepest need, and, and you want more. And so instead, you, you stuff yourself up with whatever, with, with food, or with alcohol, or with sexual fantasies, or whatever. You know, addiction is kind of wanting to control your own future, uh, and, and in a way be so afraid that things might happen that are different from your own plans. So is, is hope giving up the future? I mean, giving, no, 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 no. giving away the future? No, it's, it's a hope is to open yourself up, to let God do his work in you in ways that are beyond your own imagination. That's what Jesus says. When you were young, you put your belt on and went where you wanted to go. But when you grow spiritually old, when you become old, you stretch out your hands, let other people gird you and lead you where you rather wouldn't go. Now that's hope, to allow yourself to be led uh, to, to new places that are not the places that you might have in mind. I mean, living with hope allows me to be with dying people. Living with hope allows me to be with people with AIDS. Living with hope allows me to be with situations that are are, are in the eyes of the society hopeless. You know, nothing is going to change here. And why spend your energy with handicapped people who are not getting any better? Why do you get an education and then you, you spend all your time being with people who can't even talk? Uh, you know, all that. And I say, no, no, no. I believe that precisely uh, there uh, God is fulfilling his promises, but in ways that are far beyond my own imagining. Y you write, hope is anchored in God's self-disclosure in history. So hope is rooted in something substantial, absolute, real. Yeah, very real. It isn't just hoping that everything will work out all right. Hope has nothing to do with optimism. But many people think hope is optimism, looking at the positive side of life. Uh, Jesus doesn't at all speak that things are getting any better. I mean, at the end of time, you, you know, when, you, when Jesus talks about the end of time or the future, or he describes, he describes wars and nation against nation and people in anguish and things, earthquakes. This is what we have right now. And there's no place where Jesus says, one day, you know, it will all be wonderful. And that, no, he talks about this enormous agony. But he says, you, he says, you, you pray unceasingly that will keep your heart focused on me and keep your heart so that you can stand with your head erect in the presence of the Son of Man. That is to say, don't get sort of distracted by, by it all and, and remain focused. Now, that doesn't mean 
ignore the pain of the world, the opposite. But 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 don't don't uh, don't think that sort of you know things will will clean up or or get better and, and then you you know find there won't be any wars anymore and those illnesses and no sick. I mean Jesus is saying you know the world is a world. The world is dark and it remains dark. Henry, one of the most difficult things for many of us is prayer. And as as you trace the movements of spiritual life, you talk about prayer being from loneliness to solitude, from hostility to hospitality, from illusion to prayer. How in, are we in this very busy world to understand prayer? Well, there are many ways of talking about prayer. Prayer, for me, means, first of all, listening. Okay? Listening. Listening to the voice who calls me the beloved. Listening to the truth of myself that God announces to me. Now, and therefore solitude is very, very important. I have to be, solitude comes from the word solus, that means alone, to be alone with God. And to, to let God tell me who I am. Let me give you a very simple example. You know, when I pray, you know, I simply go into a quiet place sometimes for half an hour every morning mostly. And I, uh, I take a sentence like, the Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I shall want. Okay? The Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I shall want. Well, I want all sorts of things. I want all that. I want this, I want that, I want such, I want so. I, my whole life is full of wants and restlessness and anxiety. But the truth of myself is that, there's, that in, in that real spiritual truth is there's nothing I shall want, that God will give me everything I really need. And so when I enter into solitude, I'm listening to the voice of truth that says, there's nothing you shall want. I am your shepherd. I will care for you. I will guide you. And I have to claim that. And it's very, very difficult to claim it because as soon as I am in solitude, I realize that my head is like a banana tree full of monkey jumping here and there. I should do this. I should go here. I should write a letter to my mom. I shouldn't forget that. I have this appointment. At 5 o'clock, he's coming. Then I have lunch with him. And later on, this. And, 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 and all these things are going crazy in my mind. And I better said I stop the solitude and get going so I at least don't have to be so nervous. But that shows that our head is a garbage can a garbage can of stuff and anxieties and preoccupations. And, and so the discipline of solitude is to, to, to gradually and very gently actually to say, oh yes, I have to write this letter. Oh yes, I have to go there. Oh yes, I have to do that. But, but the truth is the Lord is my shepherd and there's nothing I shall want. I'm still mad at this person and I'm, I want to tell him back and I will say, why did he say this to me? I, I should have said that. Oh yes, that's true. But but the Lord is my shepherd. I want to go back to the truth. And the interesting thing is that when I pray that way, gradually the truth descend from my mind into my heart. That's prayer. To let the truth of my belovedness not be an idea that I am, am sort of convinced of, because prayer is not ideas. Prayer is to, to let the word become flesh in me. And that, in a way, 
the words, the Lord is my shepherd, there is nothing I shall want, they become flesh in me, and I experience the shepherding presence of God in the center of my being. In a way, the, these words enter into the inner sanctuary of my life. And there's like a little room in me, or a little space in which I hold that precious truth. And the amazing thing is that if, if out of, in your solitude, in your being alone of God, you have let the Word become flesh, and in a way the Word is written on the wall of your inner room, then during the day when you, when you talk to people and be with people, somehow you, can, you can, can be with them from that place. You can in a way interiorly say you're welcome. And you keep looking up at that memo that you've written on the wall yeah. that day. And you, in, in a way, you, and it's amazing. When I pray for half hour, I'm totally silent and sometimes very confused in the middle of it. So I'm not. Does your, your mind wanders too? Oh, all over the place. What do you think? I mean, I'm just like you. <laughs> I mean, I'm all over the place. I mean, look at me. I can hardly control my hands. I mean, I'm a very restless, anxious, nervous person. I mean, I'm not, a, a, you know, I don't have any kind of. Um, high inner harmonies going on. But I do believe that in the midst of this inner chaos, there is a space where, I, where God is saying to me, Henry, don't, don't, don't forget, I love you. And, and when, I, when I hold on to that, then uh, when I have that solitude, and in that solitude I can really get in touch with the truth of myself, when I then walk in a very busy world with very busy people, I can, in a way, invite people into that place, you know. Whether it's a business meeting, or whether it's a discussion on intellectual issues, or whether it's talking with our core members here, or whether it's planning this, somehow, uh, in the midst of it all, I, 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 can, I, can, I can let that, that word uh, be, be fruitful. And I know I'm more attentive, I don't waste too much of my time, I'm not this, you know, I can, I'm more focused. Now, when I stop praying, and I do often, you know, that I just think I don't have time for it or whatever, then gradually I get much more, more um, dissipated. And my life gets much less focused, and I'm not longer discerning, you know, when, when what I'm doing is really uh, fruitful and when it's just it's more stuff, you know. You wrote in Clowning in Rome, you said, We've gotten used to young people taking drugs. We now must get used to young people taking their lives. In the midst of, of the tragedy uh, and the suicide right. and the enormous uh, inner calamity of people's lives today, uh, how do we speak the message of Christ into that tumultuous world? Maybe we shouldn't speak that terribly much. I mean, I, 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 I have increasingly come to believe that words are quite often words <laughs> and not more than that, even when they are words that are quite spiritual. And I find it very, very important that we, we, we create in this world places of healing, places of welcome, places of gentleness, places where people can experience what the Word speaks about. And the Word is all about the fact that I am the beloved child of God. And the greatest human temptation is self-rejection. I'm no good, 
nobody cares, I have no contribution to make, uh, people think I'm great, but in my heart I know I'm, I'm, I'm a miserable person, I, I, I'm, you know. And people constantly lose um, touch with their, with their, their original blessing. And they become, and, and a lot of people think about themselves very quickly as being abandoned, being rejected, being uh, pushed away. And that's where the suicide comes from. It's, it's, it's an experience of, of total uselessness. I have nothing to offer. I'm nobody. I'm not, nobody cares whether I'm alive or not. And, and also it sometimes comes out of a deep anger, you know, and, and sort of one way of getting back at the world. And I, there is what to say to these people. I don't even know if any word will be there. But I do believe that every time uh, people experience genuine care, um, uh, that, uh, that they, they can start listening to the word gradually. You know? And so what I, my hope is that in this midst of this world there will be small communities and families and circles where people are able to, to to, to be vulnerable together. See, in an extremely competitive world where you're constantly pushed to show that you're better than others, that you're different, uh, we have to really find places of compassion where it's simply good to be human with another human being, where being human binds us. You and I are brothers and therefore we don't have to compete. And therefore you can cry and you can laugh and you can say you, can, you don't have it together and somewhere in the midst of that, you discover the, your belovedness. But Henry, in, uh, the byword today is competitiveness. And so if you're managing a corporation, or you're part of a sales force, or you're in a manufacturing community, or, and you're competing on the world market, how do you come out of an economically driven life of competitiveness into a li lifestyle of compassion when the two seem so antithetical? by taking little steps in that direction, just little ones. I don't tell people to leave their, com their, their uh, business or their companies. What I hope that people do is to make a little step towards the places where God prefers to dwell, and that is in the heart of poor, weak, marginal people. And, um, and I tell you, I know a lot of business people who do that, who spend an hour or two a week to go to a dying friend, who, who are extremely gentle with people. And for them, they know very soon that although the competition is there, and the, but it's not the, the foundation of their life. The foundation of their life is compassion. And so the competition becomes the games of the world. They have to learn how to play well but they know that their spiritual identity is not rooted there, that their spiritual identity is, is, and I, is, is, is connected with this one person or these two persons or these three persons or, or somehow how um, uh, that they, that, that, and there they discover themselves. And the point is not that they, that they should help somebody. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is they should somewhere discover their own deepest vulnerable humanity in communion with others people's vulnerability 
and there discover what really community is, what real fellowship is, what real brotherhood is. And I have no fantasy that the whole world will become one beautiful brother and sisterhood. I mean, look what's happening in Bosnia, what's happening in, 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 in you know, in, uh, in Africa, and, and what's happening, people are murdering each other, killing each other, and the world is full of violence and war. The, the question is, um, are we, are we, we simply saying we're going to be passive victims of that, or can we make inner choices to live something different in the world? You know, Jesus didn't change the world in a way. What Jesus did is he shared vulnerability and offered hope in the midst of a very, very dark world. He was the light that came into the darkness, but the darkness didn't understand it. But, but it's there. So, in, in the midst of that suffering, uh, one of your lines is you say joy is based on the knowledge that while the world is shrouded in darkness, Christ has overcome the world. Yes, yes. Well, one thing about joy, and I really think I want you to hear that, and uh, this is that joy in our world in it is never separated from sorrow. Never. Never. And the world in which we live wants to separate them. Does sorrow give rise to joy? No, no. Or are they in separate The world in which we live is saying you cannot be sorrowful and joyful at the same time. If you're glad, you're, you cannot be sad. If you're sad, you cannot be glad. If you're happy, you cannot be unhappy at the same time. You're one or the other. That's why they have this funny word like happy hour. <laughs> you know, one hour of the day you're at least happy. Where you, where you can drink twice as much for half the cost. Yeah. And the, the spiritual vision is precisely the opposite. It's the opposite. And every great spiritual leader will say that. St. Francis said it, Mother Teresa talks about it, Jean Vanier talks about it. That is, that when you go to the place of sorrow, right there you will find joy. Right in the midst of human pain, you will suddenly discover that, uh, that something is emerging, uh, that, that is new life. Mm -hmm. And it's like a, a labor pain. You know, and the, 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 the woman in labor pain has enormous sorrow, but right in the midst of that sorrow, something is being born that gives new life. And, and I, I think that, that quite often we think that if you go to the places of sorrow, like to a dying person, to a handicapped person, or a person in prison, or a person with AIDS, you're going to be overwhelmed with misery and pain, and you want to stay away from it. But the fact is that anybody who can do it, uh, can, can move to these places, will discover that, that the person they go to offer them something that is of enormous joy. It, and joy is something else than just happiness. It's the experience of, of being the beloved. It's, it's the, the sense of, of, of I am sent into this world with, 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 with a task. I, 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 am, I am here uh, to, to, to announce good news in, in a very profound way by just living who I am and living it faithfully and directly. And I don't have to deny uh, the darkness. I can just be in it, but, but, but clinging to the truth of who I am. And it's a real, real, and a real joy is always, is always right there where the sorrow is most, is most, uh, that's my life. But you, but you talk about embracing pain. I, isn't that a bit naive? Wow. No, it's not naive at all. It's, 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 it's taking up the cross. It's embracing the truth of who you are. Embracing, I even want to say to befriend your sorrow, to befriend your pain, to befriend your truth. If, if I am a person who, who, 
who experience a lot of anguish and pain, the question is not how to live as if that's not there and sort of look in another direction. It's much more saying, can I, can I say, that's me. That's me. I am very anguished here. I, I, am, I dare to call my pain by its right name. And I dare to go to you and say, brother, I'm in pain. This is really hurting me. Can you be with me? I don't know what to do about it, but can you be with me in this struggle? So if my spouse walks out on me, I embrace that? When your spouse walk out on you and there is no way to restore the relationship, can you live with that enormous pain in such a way that doesn't make you bitter, angry, jealous, resentful, and the rest of your life destroyed? So, so your attempt is not to absolve the pain? My attempt is to recognize that in my life something happened that is extremely painful. How can I choose to embrace it, to live it as my pain and trust that that pain is labor pain, that somewhere will bring new life to me? That's, and how, how can I choose to, to live it? That's what Jesus says. He doesn't say make a cross for another person. He doesn't say make a cross for yourself. He says take up your cross your unique suffering. And you don't have to look for suffering. You don't have to make suffering. You don't have to make it hard on yourself. The question is, can you look at your pain and it can be, uh, and, and really embrace it as your way in which God leads you to new places. But Henry, we live in this, in this antiseptic world with, uh, where we do everything to avoid pain, suffering. We have the white coats, we have yeah. the closed doors, we have the soft music. And uh, w whether it's in, in the, the death of a person or the physical pain of a person, we do everything to ameliorate pain, don't we? Yeah, we, we do not believe that pain is good for anything. And, and by pain, I don't, I'm not against uh, at all, uh, you know, uh, medications. Medication against, I'm not, I'm not at all. I'm, I'm thinking there's enough pain, we don't have to. If we, if we have a way to take pain away, we shouldn't not do it. That's not what I'm saying. But there's a lot of pain we cannot change. It's like I'm talking about the pain of a broken life or the pain of a relationship that didn't work out or the pain, the pain of feeling depressed or the pain of feeling Losing your job at 55 years of yeah, age. Yeah, and, and, but, but it might be even deeper. I mean, the pain of me being Henry, Henry and, can, and, and still have the same character problems I had when I was 18, I, and, and I, can I embrace it? I can I say, yes, I, that's them. I'm not going to be without this impatience or this anguish or this restlessness, but I'm willing to say this is me, but I'm also trusting that if I am faithful to me and my own unique life story, that out of that life can come. I cannot be like that person or like that person, like that person. I'm just me, and I have my own journey with my own unique pain and my own experience of rejection, my own needs. Can I just claim them and trust that precisely when I'm faithful to my own unique story, I will meet God right there, right in my pain. That's what Jesus says to the people of Emmaus. He says, didn't you know, you foolish people, didn't you know that the Son of Man had to suffer and so enter to the glory? Uh, that's, that's, he's just saying that about himself. That's the story. So they needed new eyes to see yeah, and, and he's saying that's true for you too. You have to say to, to yourself, can I realize that, that in the midst of that, that my anguish and my suffering and my dying finally is the way to something new? You said that you had a conversion by watching gay men die of AIDS, that you got new eyes, that out of their, 
out of their pain, you saw something different? Well, I, I, I have been with people who, who suffered of AIDS and living with it. And, and I, I'm amazed. I'm asking myself constantly, you know, what, what does this mean? You know, how, and I, I have discovered that in circles, maybe uh, that I would least expect, I suddenly see people caring for each other in new ways. I have suddenly young men who knew they only had a few more years to live. They suddenly came closer to God in ways they'd never been before. I've seen people saying, after I have had AIDS, I suddenly realize what it means to be loved, to be cared for, and you know, and that doesn't happen automatically. I mean, that I'm not trying to generalize it, but I have, have seen people with AIDS who are able to, to live their mortality in a very direct way and look right into the eyes and were able to discover God's presence there in a very unique way they had never experienced before. But that's not just for people with AIDS. You and I are dying too. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and, you know, I'm 62 and I might have 20 more years to live or, you know, that would be wonderful. But uh, I, I, I really have to be ready to say, yeah, I, my, my greatest vulnerability is the fact that I'm going to die. And that's not bad news. Jesus says it's good for you that I die so I can send my spirit. And we have to be able to say that too somewhere. It's to our friends. It's good for you that I finally go. And because when I go, I can send the spirit of God to those who I've loved. And, and, and I can continue to, to be fruitful in the life of other people. We often think of eternity as something that goes on after we die. And yet your whole notion of, uh, of, of eternity is living life now. You give emphasis to the nowness of life. Yeah, because but I'm only being free to totally focus on the here and now because I'm safe in the, um, from all eternity to all eternity. I mean, that allows me to, to be here. You know what I mean? It's not a, it's not a hedonistic now, like uh, let's live up the, the moment. It's precisely the opposite. It's like saying I can pay attention to your need. I can be with you because I know that together you know, we've been, we've been sent into this world to fulfill our spiritual mission to announce God's love, and we will be moving back to the place of God's eternal embrace. And, and our life is just, just a mission to live something. But if we live the mission, we better be here. <laughs> you know, you better be here. You better pay attention. I'm not, if I talk to a sick person, to a handicapped person, I'm not trying to get him anywhere else. I just want to be with this person here and now because this person, in a way, is Christ for me now. And now, now matters. Now matters. Here and now matters precisely because God is a God of the present. And God is a God of the present because he is the God of eternity. You see what I mean? I, I don't know if you, if you catch that, but I mean, it's really true. I mean, if I know I'm safe, uh, in a safe embrace from that stretch from eternity to eternity, I'm totally free to be with you now and here and now. But so often we're bound by the memories of the past. Yeah. And guilty, yeah, guilty the past, about the past worried. and worrying about the future. Mm -hmm. And Jesus keeps saying, don't worry about the future, nor feel guilty about the past because you're forgiven. Uh, but be here, because here am I with you. Dwell with me. And Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is, is among us, is, or the kingdom of God is within us. The kingdom of God is right where we are. It's that, now, that doesn't mean that the kingdom of God doesn't have to come to its full revelation, in the, in, you know, uh, that there's not 
there is not an unfolding to take place. But for you and for me, you know, Jesus is saying, be attentive. The kingdom of God is at your fingertips. It's right here where you are. And I am the God of the present. I'm not a God of the past. I'm not just a God of the future. I'm just where you are because I love you and I want to hold you in my embrace and I want to take you by the hand and guide you through the darkness. I want to be with you and pay attention to what I'm saying to you here and now. I mean, that's what the contemplative life is all about. It's to be there. And it doesn't mean that, that, that we, we are not to, to care uh, for what's going to happen or to be indifferent. It simply means to trust that if we are fully present, the present today, we will discover what to do tomorrow. So, so I don't have to be a monk to be contemplative. Oh, no, 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 not at all. I, uh, contemplation means to discover Christ in a moment. And if I talk to you now, this is the moment. My great concern for this conversation we are having is that you and I are together. That you are here and I am here and that that's all that counts. And I'm, the more I'm totally here for you and the more you are totally here for me, something can happen. Something of God can happen. It can be a spiritual event. Mm -hmm. This can be the fullness of time for you and me here and now. And if we trust that, then you can know that if you're totally here now, you will know where to be tomorrow, when tomorrow comes. And you will know with that the person you're there with, you can be here. My, my greatest concern is that, that the person I'm with or the situation I'm with is the situation in which God calls me to live the kingdom now. So, so th the kingdom is liberating of the guilt of the past and anxiety of the future. Right, right. It's being in the presence, in the kingdom now. That's what this community is about. We want to live the kingdom here around the dinner table. We want to say, we don't want to have dinner in order to do something tomorrow. And we live in a world in which every time you do something, people say, what can I do with it tomorrow? Or why don't we eat? Well, we eat so we can do something. The question is, can we eat? Because eating is living the kingdom. Can I talk to you? Because talking to you is living the kingdom. Can I be with friends and say, this is the moment for us to celebrate. Celebration means to lift up the present and recognize God in it. You've been listening to a wonderful dialogue between Henry Nowen and Brian Stiller. They address the critical question, how do we speak the message of Christ in this tumultuous world? And Henry reminds us, the joy in our world is never separated from sorrow. Thank you for being with us today on Henry Nowen, Now and Then. If you'd like to watch this amazing interview, you can see it on our YouTube channel. I hope you have already signed up to receive our daily meditations written by Henry Nowen. If not, you can do that on our website at henrynowen.org. Remember, they're free, and they are a wonderful way to stay informed about the various things we have to offer to those who enjoy the writings and the teachings of Henry Nowen. We would also be so grateful if you consider donating to the Henry Nowen Society. Your resources help us share the daily meditations and these podcasts right around the world. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please take time to give us a review or a thumbs up or pass this on to your friends and family. Thanks for listening. Until next time.